onto the railing. Keep your eyes closed, don't peek. I'm not. Step up onto the rail. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your eyes closed. <laughs> Titanic, one of the classic love stories uh, of modern history, I suppose, in regards to the movie and regards to that scene on the front of the cruise liner. Who's been on a cruise liner and thought they'd like to try that? Yeah, I did. I thought it'd be really good, wouldn't it? Go up the front and hang out like that. Uh, You've done it in your tinny. Yeah, well... (laughs) Get that sense of it uh, blowing you back. You'd probably fall off. I don't think you have enough momentum to keep you up, would it? Uh, but everyone loves a sto- love story, don't we? We love that idea of a love overcoming, of uh, difficulty, of things happening around us. We love love stories. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Titanic, uh, Princess Leia and Han Solo. You know, classic love stories, aren't they? Well... We're going to be looking at probably one of the greatest love stories in history. And it is tragic, but yet phenomenal at the same time. Open up your Bibles to Hosea. Uh, As Les said, we're going to be looking at the minor prophets for the next four weeks. Uh, They're minor because often we don't hear about them. They're a very small section in the back of the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament. And we're going to do one book per week, so we're going to fly through them. But we're going to hopefully give you a bit of an overview picture of what they look like. And the first one we're going to be looking at is Hosea. And Joan's going to come and read to us just the first chapter of that this morning. Hosea chapter 1, and it's on page 636 for anyone that wants to follow on the Pew Bible. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, 
because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblan, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Goma and had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like sands on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, my people, and your sisters, my loved one. May the Lord add his blessing to that reading. Thanks, Jane. Did you hear what God asked Hosea to do? Did you get that? He said, go and marry an adulterous woman. Go and marry someone who is going to cheat on you. And not cheat on you once, but cheat on you again and again and again. And that will be her life. Her life will be that. She will continually cheat on you. She'll be adulterous. She'll continue to do that. And you are to go and marry her. Now you might think God's asked you to do a few things in your life. And some of those things you may not have even realised that he asked you to do. But... Uh, God has actually even given Hosea the heads up for this one. He said, it's not confusing, he says, go and marry this adulterous, this promiscuous woman. Uh, This one that is going to go around and give her body to every other man that she possibly could, but you are going to marry her and you're going to love her and you're going to have children by her and you're going to love the children that you have as well. This is a crazy thing God's asked, isn't it? Amazing. And not only does he have to love her, but he's got to love her children as well. And it looks like that maybe the first one was his child, but every other child that he has were actually who knows whose. If you look at the passage, he says, the passage says, and bore him a son. So if we think from that, that the very first child that Gomer has At this point in time, she might have been faithful. She has a son and it's his. It's Hosea's. But we don't hear that in the next lot, do we? Gave birth to a daughter and another son. It's not to him. This is possibly to anyone else in that community. But yet God says to Hosea, go and take this woman as your wife and love her 
and continue to love her and keep loving her. And you see the stuff, it doesn't get even better than that. You might think, okay, first chapter, first couple of verses, that's fairly huge, that's a big call, God. But then it gets worse. Get across to chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, flip over or you can see it up on the screen. Listen to what happens in chapter 3. Chapter 1, we hear what Gomer's going to be like. Chapter 3, we see what she's become. The Lord said to me, that's to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. So there's a gap between verse chapter 1 and chapter 3. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a left tech of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I'll behave the same way toward you. If you read verse 2, you realise that she just hasn't been an adulteress. She just hasn't been promiscuous. But at this point in time, she's in the slave market. She's being bought and sold as a slave. As a sex slave. Now, this is a picture which I actually toned down from the pictures that I could have put up for you of what it would have been like at that stage. Uh, what they believe was that the point of time in that history was that women, uh, when they were slaves, were basically just taken up onto a stand, paraded before all the people, but they didn't have clothes on. They were naked. Completely naked. And they were just paraded before the people and people would just buy them. Now the going rate for a slave, a woman slave at that time, in Hosea's time was 30 shekels. How much did Hosea pay? Half price. Bargain. That is so sad, isn't it? That is so disgusting. This woman has become so low and so desperate and so used and so abused that when, Homer goes to, when Hosea goes to buy Gomer back, he only has to pay half price for her. No one else will touch her. No one else will go near her. She is so disgusting. But yet God tells Hosea to go and love her. To take her back. To redeem her. To buy her back. To bring her back into your, her, your family and to love her as you did at the beginning, he tells you. And in verse 3, he speaks to her. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I'll behave the same way towards you. I've brought you back, but you're not to go back. I've redeemed you but you're not to go sell yourself again. You've been brought into my family. You're not to leave it again. That is an amazing story, isn't it? This is not a PG fun love story, is it? It's not even a M 
love story. This is an R-rated love story. Isaiah goes and redeems and brings back and takes into his house and restores Gomer. What amazing love. Why does he do that? Why does God want him to do that? Because Hosea and Gomer's life is what Jones said at the very beginning, a parable, an illustration of God's love for his people, Israel. Go back to the very first chapter. Have a look at verse 2. We think that at this point in time, Hosea actually is speaking about 750 BC, but look what he says, Hosea's wife and children. He says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her like an adulterous wife. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. You see, this picture of Hosea loving Gomer of going and redeeming and restoring and bringing her back is the picture of God wanting his people, Israel, to return and be restored and come back to him. And the people of God are like Gomer, completely wretched, lost, destitute, forsaken. And yet God wants to reach out and bring them back to him. As I said before, we think that when Hosea is speaking, this is 750 BC, this is 750 years before Jesus comes on the earth. At this point in time, uh, Israel, or the people of God, is probably a better term for it, have been split into two nations. If you go back uh, to uh, the King David and Solomon and all that period of time, there was one kingdom, God's people in one place under his rule, his people under his rule, which is the very sense of what God said back in Genesis, didn't he, to Abraham. It's going to be the case. It looks like it's going to be, but then the wheels fall off big time after Solomon. So bad that God says, well, I'm going to split you in half. The top half are going to be Israel and the bottom half are going to be Judah. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that Israel, having the name that God has said that they will be, will be the good country. No, <laughs> they're the ones of the worst. Israel, the ten tribes, uh, part of which are there are twelve tribes, ten are up in Israel, two are down in Judah. The top ten are not the top ten. They're shocking. They're terrible. They've gone off the rails. And so they've been split in half. And then Hosea comes in and he speaks at 750 BC. And we think he speaks over a 50-year period. So that's like from chapter 1 to chapter 14. It's about a 50-year period that Hosea is speaking to Israel. And he's speaking to them and he's saying, you guys are like my wife, Goma. That's a big call, isn't it? You have gone way off track, guys. So far off track. You see, God has a great sadness in Hosea. If you read the rest of the book, it's really worth reading in one sitting because you get the story, you get the feel for it. 
Uh, I think in Hosea, it's one of the books that really brings God, in a sense, in the Old Testament, into a humanness. Uh, the way that God speaks, there's very much like he's like us, with emotions and feelings, and a sense that makes him almost human-like in that sense, in the way that he feels towards his people. It's a very intimate book. The term is anthropomorphical language. We use that word in your time somewhere. Anthropos means human. Morphical, like human. They put it, God into human terms. He speaks in that human sense of what he feels for us. And there is great sadness of God in Hosea. Great sadness. If ever you've thought of God as being distinct and away and out there, read Hosea. It just brings him in to feeling the pain and the hurt and the sadness of his people. Have a look at chapter 4. It's on the screen. Verse 1, it says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodsheds. God's heart is feeling that his people have just left him and this is the consequence of leaving God. Bloodshed, cursing, Life taken as something that can just be taken away. He feels that pain of what his people are like. And why? In 8 verse 13 it says, Because Israel has forgotten their maker. The people of God have forgotten who God is. The people of God have forgotten what God has done the people of God have completely deserted him, left him, gone off, run away, taken off, gone after other things. Gone after other gods, after other idols, after other things that have become priority in their life. And there's a sense when you read Hosea that there's almost two groups of people in Israel. They're the ones that have openly left and gone off and completely left God out of the picture. They've gone and run away they're not even thinking about God at all. They're the others that have run off and think they can run their own life their other way, but they think they're okay because they think they're Israelites, because they think they've got God. They're the ones who have said, I'm going to turn back and go completely opposite direction. The others have said, well, I'm just going to turn side on for a while. I'm just going to live my life my way. I know God's there, but look, I'm just going to put him on the back burner for a little while, just sit him off to the side, just head out in my own direction for a little while. And God is sad about both those situations. He cries out to his people. He cries out to them in great sadness that you've left me, that you've sat me on the background of your life. It's a bit of a warning for us, isn't it, in some way? Are you here this morning? They've just said, nah, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm just going to go off in my own direction, do my own thing. I don't care about him at all. Or are you someone here today who said, yeah, yeah, I know God's there, but at the moment, pff, nah, it's all about me. It's all about what I want about. It's all about what I need to get through to. My career's important. Travel's important, my retirement's important. I'm just going to concentrate on that. 
God can just take a back seat for a little while. Well, when you read through Hosea, he says he's really sad about that. Very sad about that. But when you read Hosea, God doesn't leave it like that. God just doesn't say, I'm sad about that. and But he says, I want to know you. See, God's great desire is that you return to him. That was the picture of Hosea with Gomer, wasn't it? Great desire to bring her back, to restore her, to come back in to his family. Even though she'd done the most unbelievable against him. He wanted her back even though we've done the utmost against God, he wants us back. Go to the end of Hosea chapter 14 and look at what he says. As he worked through Hosea, for chapter 1 is about Hosea and Gomer. Chapter 2 is about what God has against them. Chapter 3 is about Hosea and Gomer again. And then from halfway through chapter 3 to the end of chapter 13, it's all the things that God has charges against Israel and what they've done and how they've gone about it. And just within that, there is this continual refrain. But if you return to me, but if you seek me, but if you return to me. And then in chapter 14, he brings it all together. And he says this, Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to me, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never say again, we will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. There's a couple of great cries in that passage, isn't there? And the first great cry that God has is return. He's come home. Where do we see that picture in the New Testament? What's the great illustration of God wanting his people to come home? He knows the story that pictures that the most. The prodigal son, isn't it? The prodigal son is Jesus almost retelling Hosea. Again, but from a different perspective of a guy who leaves and goes off, plunders his life, ruins his life, destroys his life. But when he returns, what does the father do? He pulls up his skirt and he runs towards his son and holds him, pulls him in and says, you're welcome home. Now my sons have left home, but not in the same way. They've gone to Sydney not sure that's quite the same as maybe the slave market. And they haven't left because they don't like us, I don't think. But it's easy for me to wrap my arms around them when they come home and give them a cuddle and say, welcome home. And it's a wonderful feeling when you grab your son or your daughter, isn't it? And you give them a cuddle and you say, you're home. 
beautiful thing. Well, this is even a more beautiful picture, isn't it? God's people who've said, stuff you God, I don't care about you. Oh, I'm going to put you out the back side, back burner, mate. I don't really want to know about you. But when you return, God says, I'm your mine. The fatherless find compassion. He wraps them in his arms and pulls him in and says, you're mine. Return home is the cry of God to you, to me. And the other cry is repent. Notice when Hosea says to Gomer, you ought to come home, just doesn't say you go, come home and then go off and do whatever you like again. Go off and become promiscuous again. Go off and be an adulterer again. No, 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 you come home and you stay home. You put past, you put it in the back, you say, no more, I'm not going there anymore. This is where I am loved. This is the place where I find security. This is the place where I am to be. And that's what God says to us. We are to be asked for forgiveness. We are to recognise that we've run from him. We recognise that we've stuck him in the back. But we are to return to him. We are to ask for forgiveness. We are to turn around from that life and come back to him. We are to repent. That's what repent means. It's a big U-turn. It says, when running this way, we don't realise it, but we're running this way and there's a cliff off the end and you're going to dive into it. And the Israelites, they did. They ran off the cliff and they went down. They didn't hear the call. In 722 BC, the Assyrians swoop down from the north and they wipe out Israel. They capture them. They take them into slavery. They're gone. They didn't heed the warning. Please heed the warning. Don't ignore it. Return to him. Do the U-turn. Come back to him. Repent. Ask for forgiveness and stay home. Because where you stay home is your home. In the arms of your heavenly Father is the place that you were created to be and no other arms will satisfy. Your career won't satisfy. Your house won't satisfy. Your retirement won't satisfy. That new van that you buy to trip around Australia won't satisfy. You being great at sport, winning your bowls comp won't satisfy. And I reckon the hardest one for Australians to hold and to swallow is your family won't satisfy. If you talk to anyone in Australia, the God of Australians is family. Now don't get me wrong, family is a beautiful thing. Caravan can be a wonderful thing. Career can be a good thing. But when it becomes your God when it drags you away from your home, when it starts to put God in the background and come to the foreground, then it's dangerous, guys. Very dangerous. And God wants you to return from that and come into his homes because he's the only one that can truly complete you. I don't know whether you've seen this, uh, I think it was a film that uh, Tom Cruise was in 
and uh, his line to bring back the girl, which I think was Renee Zwegler, however you say her name, Zwegler, something like that, to bring her back, was he came to the door and he said, you complete me. Garbage. I'm sorry, it's garbage. It's nice. It's a beautiful sentiment. But Renee, Tom, neither of them are going to make you whole, guys. They're not going to do it for you. It's a nice little picture, isn't it? Come together. But you were not created to be made whole by anyone else other than God. Other than Christ in you, as Malcolm said last week. That is the only place that we find completion. Because on the cross, Jesus removes everything that's going to make that impossible. Because we are two sinful people coming together, it will not be perfect. And you can put anything into that jigsaw puzzle and think it's going to make you complete, guys. And we keep trying to do it, don't we? Keep trying to fit things into our puzzle of our life and we think we just get that one piece in line, it's going to be perfect. It's not, I'm sorry. I'd love to be nice and sentimental and say, nice little mem, find the right piece and you'll be complete in this world. Because you see, your puzzle is not yours. God's made the puzzle. He's got your life together and he's the one that you need to fit into because he comes into you through his spirit and makes you complete in Jesus. It's in him and only him that you'll ever find your completeness, guys. Sam's testimony, wasn't it? He'd been thinking of doing and fixing and sorting and making and doing all this sort of stuff. And when he came to the end of himself and he heard last week that it's about Christ in you who has completed him and has set him free. And that sets all of us free. To love our wives the best that we can. To love our families the best that we can. To live in our careers the best that we can. To live our retirement the best that we can. In him. You see, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and destroy and ruin you. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Completeness is found in Jesus and him alone. And he enables us to live that out in the world around us. Yes, no, we're not going to be perfect in this world. We are, in a sense, still on a journey in this world. We're on our road to sanctification where we will be the ultimate completeness in, in heaven. But the way to live that out in this world is to know that it is in Jesus that we live this out not in ourselves. Two great cries, aren't they, that God has in Hosea. For his people Israel, they ignore it. To his people today, please don't ignore it. Return, repent and come back to him. Because God's great love for you isn't just a picture of an illustration of Hosea and Gomer, but it's seen on the cross as his son is crucified for you and me.
That is where God says, I love you. I love you. Romans 5 verse 6 and I think puts this really clear. He said, just at the right time when we were still powerless, when we couldn't do it ourselves, when we could not save ourselves, when we could not live this life the way it was created to be lived, when we couldn't force itself to make it happen, Christ died for the ungodly, for you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But that's not us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it? It's a phenomenal verse. God's great love for us. He desires us to return and repent and come home to him. You may be here this morning and you may have run off in your life and gone completely the other direction and said, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, God this morning is calling out to you, saying, my great love for you is that you return to me. Repent and come back to me. And I will make you whole. You may be here this morning and you've gone for a bit of an excursion away from God. Yep, you've made a commitment at some point in time in your life. You've decided that Jesus is the way. But just at the moment, you've gone for a bit of a sidetrack. You've headed off down a different path. You've got sidetracked down this direction. Well, God says to you this morning, return, repent, come back to me. This is your home. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, yes, I believe that, I trust in that, I know that. Well, God is saying to you this morning, soak that in. Bask in the love of God for you through Jesus. Just sit and allow that to permeate every part of your being. That is phenomenal love, isn't it? At our house in uh, summer, it's really lovely and cool. In winter, the back half of the house for Northern Rivers seems cold. Uh, those who are from uh, Melbourne and Tasmania might not think that's the case. And I've been out of Tassie 20-odd years now, so I do think it's the case. And so sometimes when I'm in the back, I feel really cold. But at the front of the house, if you go out through the front door on a sunny day, it is exhilarating. Sometimes I just go out there and I just stand and I just stick up my arms and I just go, oh, the sun just comes in on the back of my back. I get tingles and then I get warm. I think, oh, how good is that sun? It is an amazing, radiant, beautiful warmth. Let me encourage you to do that with God's love today. Go home and read Hosea. Go home and read Romans 5. And then bask in the warmth of the radiance of the Son of God who loved you so much. Who went to the cross. Who rose again. And with his arms open wide, says to you this morning, return. Repent. Come home.
Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, read through your word, there are just moments when our breath is taken away. Uh, There's some parts of the Bible that we may not have even opened, Lord. We may not have even looked at Hosea before in our lives. We may not have even contemplated what it says, but when we see your love demonstrated in the life of Hosea and Gomer, your love for your people, that reaches out, even though we've turned our back, even though we've prostituted ourselves, even though we've been adulterated, even though we've been promiscuous in giving our lives to everything and anything else other than you, Lord. You pull us back. You desire us to return. Your love for us is so great that you haven't just left it to us either, Lord, but you gave us Jesus. You sent Jesus as the amazing act of love who lived and died and rose again so that we can experience your love today and forever, Lord. Lord, if nothing takes our breath away, that has to. Lord, we pray that your spirit will take that and ram that into our hearts and our souls and the warmth and the glow and the exhilaration of that, Lord, will just take up within us and saturate us, Lord, and explode from us as we go out and live in this world for you. As we go out and live in this world as if we're at home with you, Lord, experiencing your loving embrace daily. Lord, by your Spirit, may that be our experience this morning and may that be our experience every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.